thanks to ZipRecruiter, which is the presenting sponsor of Recode Decode and the smartest way to hire. Staffing tech companies is tricky. From high turnover to rapidly changing skill sets, you really have to stay on your toes. ZipRecruiter knows because they're a tech company too. So it's no surprise they built a product that uses powerful machine learning algorithms that make finding qualified candidates simple, efficient, and intuitive. If you're hiring, it's time to get smart. Try ZipRecruiter for free right now at ZipRecruiter.com slash decode. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash decode. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large at Recode. You may know me as the subject of countless misconnections on Craigslist, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is Craig Newmark, who I've known for a very long time. He's the founder of Craigslist. He's also the founder of Craig Newmark Philanthropies, which supports a range of causes, including voter protection, veterans, women in tech, and journalism. I wanted to have him on the show this week when I saw that he had just donated $20 million to the SUNY Graduate School of Journalism. Craig, welcome to Rico Decode. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. And, th- you know, you've never been this. We've got so much to talk about. There's so many issues to talk about with you, and, and you have such a fascinating <laughs> career. But this, this donation is really quite something, and I want to get into it a little later. But first, let's give people who don't know you. I mean, your, your name is well-known, Craigslist is. But let's talk a little bit about your background, how you got to where you are, so people will give, get some sense of your entrepreneurship. Mm. Well, I been thinking uh, a lot recently about what happened, you know, what's made me whatever I am. Mm -hmm. Part of that is just being a nerd in Mm -hmm. the uh, classic Dr. Seuss sense. Mm -hmm. Thick black glasses taped together. Oh, a uh, plastic pocket protector. You actually had one? I really did. This is all (laughs) literal. Nerds are literal. And uh, no social skills to speak of. Mm -hmm. And even now, I'm simulating social skills. Okay, good job. You're doing a good job. But back in uh, my, well, our version of Sunday school, mm-hmm. way back, Mr. and Mrs. Levin, mm-hmm. who are my teachers, mm-hmm. they taught me the stuff which uh, mattered in a big way as I went through life. Where'd you grow up? This is Morristown, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the deal there at the uh, Jewish Community Center, they helped me understand that I should treat people like I want to be treated. Mm-hmm. And they also, I think, taught me that I should know when enough is enough, mm-hmm. particularly considering material positions or money. Right. Now, the next big effect on my life, high school history, U.S. history with Mr. Shulsky. Okay. And Your homage to the teachers. Uh, yeah. yeah. He, bridged, he bridged me into U.S. history and American values because another way of saying what the Levins taught me was that, well, our country, you know, is about fairness, opportunity, and respect, or should be. Mm-hmm. And in history, I learned uh, about that kind of American value, mm-hmm. something we aspire to. I also learned that a trustworthy press is the immune system of democracy, as mm-hmm. I like to put it. And I got pretty committed to the Bill of Rights, due process, the Declaration of Independence, and the Constitution. This guy was serious about getting that across to us, and it stuck pretty thoroughly It stuck to me. thoroughly. So you went to school. Where, where did you, you... You studied computer science, okay? Yeah. In high school, there was, there was an old IBM 1620. Mm-hmm. Uh, it actually did have blinking lights. Mm-hmm. It, we used punch cards, I which... Uh, a phrase which may uh, frighten many, but I learned Fortran too. Went to school, though, college, Case Tech in Cleveland, got a couple degrees in computer sciences. That worked out uh, fairly well. I learned a lot. 
And then from there, I spent 17 years at IBM, to my surprise. Right, right up there in, up in New York, above New York. Oh, uh, that's your thinking of the big machine yeah. division. Yeah. I spent six years first in Boca Raton. Right. Oh, on the on the on the sound cork. On the well, it was on the Series One. Mm-hmm. But at the end of my time there, I was working with the first PC. Right. IBM PC. Right, which was from there. They did uh, it. They did it down in Florida, away from the main from the main headquarters. Yeah. My uh, former uh, roommate, office roommate, was the guy who wrote the BIOS. Wow, that's amazing. I. Uh, but since I didn't get along with people very well mm-hmm. as a nerd, mm-hmm. they didn't invite me to join the project. Right. So you work for IBM, but still continue to sort of slave away there as many, many, that's a, that's a normal career for a lot of people. Yeah. Like after that, 11 years in the field, Detroit, then Pittsburgh, and then I decided I needed a change. Charles Schwab got me a good job and I moved out here. Mm-hmm. And about two years into my uh, tenure there, that's when the dot-com thing hit San Francisco in a, a big way. I had uh, acquired a number of the necessary skills, did some web work, wound up doing software contracting, most notably for Bank of America, where I helped develop uh, home banking. Mm-hmm. And around that time, I realized that a lot of people had helped me in the San Francisco Bay Area. Mm-hmm. I should give back. Right. And that... Uh, well, that was the start of Craigslist. Mm-hmm. What was the idea for it? Because, and I, I do want to get into it because it, it damaged newspapers too. The, the 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 creation of Craigslist. But talk about the concept of it. That 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 I assume is that classifieds were static, expensive, non-effective, all kinds of things. Well, Craigslist just started as a simple mailing list, which developed uh, categories relatively, uh, oh, relatively quickly. Mm-hmm. I figured I had started something, I had committed to it, I needed to continue with it. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, I could write my own code to right. automate whatever procedure took time. Right. Just kept growing, grew word of mouth, and at some point I had to make some decisions like, well, if it's going to continue to exist, I needed it to make it into a real company. Right. Now, bankers and VCs around here told me I should do the usual thing. Which is collect money. Yes. Uh, it would be an awful lot of money. Mm-hmm. But from Mr. and Mrs. Levin, I remembered uh, knowing enough is enough. Mm-hmm. So I decided to not monetize the site in the usual way. Mm-hmm. Nothing altruistic about it, just uh, what I thought were uh, actual values, mm-hmm. and proceeded on that basis. And not altruistic, just uh, basic values. A year in, I realized that as a manager, I kind of suck. Mm-hmm. That's why Jim Buckmaster runs things. Right, right. And so he came in. Yeah. So, and, so with the concept of it, the idea was to just make classifieds easier. Or was it? Were you attacking classifieds, or you just thought it would be a place where people would trade knowledge, information, and uh, things they wanted? All that is much fancier thinking okay. than well, I'm capable of. I'm thinking that. People uh, in my community need something to help get them through the day. Mm -hmm. The deal was that what Craigslist became at that point is a place to help you put food on the table, Mm -hmm. then to help you find a table, and then to help you get a roof under which to put the table. Mm -hmm. And that's that's really how I think about it. Mm -hmm. It's pretty basic because in our lives... Sometimes it's just enough to uh, help someone else get through the day. Mm-hmm. That ain't bad. Yeah, what was the get through the day part? Reading class or just meeting people or? Oh, getting through the day. I mean, uh, 
you know, again, getting enough uh, money or whatever to get whatever food on services, the table. Or to find your services. But you weren't thinking of classifieds are terrible, I'm going to fix them. No, I had uh, no thinking really about classifieds. Mm-hmm. At some point, years in, it dawned on me that I had uh, done classifieds right. in a good way. Mm-hmm. Like once you put a classified ad up, it was easy to remove, right. which meant no one was calling you mm-hmm. after it's removed. Right, right, hopefully. exactly. Right, they weighed it in the newspapers. And so as it grew, you it, it, it became quite a business, though, once you started to monetize it. You charged for a variety of things, which and some of the stuff you didn't charge for. Yeah. The deal is the site should be monetized uh, as little as possible. And even when we're charging, oh, Craigslist is providing uh, providing ads that are much more effective, we feel, mm-hmm. for uh, less money. Right, right. And so as it developed, you became, you weren't running it, correct? But you were guiding it. It went back and forth in ownership, or, or there were, you oh. always owned it. Well, at, that, at the beginning, I did give away uh, equity to a couple other folks. Mm-hmm. And I figure uh, maybe I have some moral responsibility in the background. Mm-hmm. But when I turned over management to Jim, mm-hmm. I relinquished all management control. Mm-hmm. I relinquished all management involvement. Right. I was, in, I was a customer service rep. Right, right. Because when you make someone CEO, right. you got to get out of the way. Right, right. Well, most people don't. Well, <laughs> Let's be honest. Well, there's something called uh, founder syndrome. Mm-hmm. Somebody who's good at starting something is terrible at continuing it. Mm-hmm. I had read about it. And sometimes I'm smart enough to learn from other people's uh, mm-hmm. uh, unpleasant experiences. Unpleasant. So what did you do after that? After you, Because you were still attached to it because your name was on the product. and Well, I was uh, emotionally attached to it, mm-hmm. but I figured... I also stopped coding mm-hmm. because we, you know, Craigslist had hired uh, a lot of be- programmers who were better than me. Mm-hmm. But I was a really, really good customer service rep. Mm-hmm. I find uh, even nobility in service. Mm-hmm. And that turned out to be a pretty hard job. Right. In customer service, you do see things you wish you could unsee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I kept on with that. The last five years, though, I focused on philanthropy. Right. And, well, in part because my, uh, the Craigslist team doesn't really need me anymore. Right, right. Talk about the philanthropies. You made a lot of money from this. It, it's, still, it's still private, is that correct? I, I don't want to yes. get this wrong. It is uh, strictly private. And you want to keep it that way? Yes. Are you still a major shareholder? Uh, yes. So you can control that? Um, we run differently than mm-hmm. people think we do. Meaning? Um, Jim runs the company. I don't interfere. Right. And, but you're a major shareholder. Yes. But the decision not to go private, not to go public because? Um, or sell. What's the point? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> not a lot of people say that. Well, I want to hear you say Going private, that. what's the point? Mm-hmm. Selling, people keep telling me again now that they see I'm doing philanthropy. Mm-hmm. People say I could have a huge amount of money to mm-hmm. uh, give away. Mm-hmm. And... That's an apt observation Mm -hmm. these days. Mm -hmm. I do feel the nation is in crisis. Right. And that people of goodwill need to stand up and do something. Mm -hmm. Um, Money talks. Right. And money talks in a way that I never really understood Mm -hmm. until recently. Okay. 
I would uh, characterize that as nerdly naivete. Okay, and but you but it remains private and not sold and not correct. Right, there was a period where I guess eBay was look, a lot of people were looking at it. Is that correct? Uh, there was, and there was a situation too where uh, a former employee mm-hmm. who I had uh, given stock to, I right, granted I it to I wrote him. About it, yeah, yeah. Um, we got uh, through that, and now uh, Craigslist. Uh, owns that equity, which would have otherwise uh, been in other hands. So what kind of company would you characterize it as? I don't know if there is a term. Yeah, I know. It's really... it's. Uh, we may be unique in American or even world business mm-hmm. because, you know, we are serious business people. Mm-hmm. Craigslist consists entirely of serious business mm-hmm. people. And yet, we just remember the values that... Uh, we learned in Sunday school right. that pretty much everyone does. Going. So you moved to the philanthropy. Talk a little bit about that. Well, over the years, mm-hmm. over the 10-plus years, people from nonprofits were uh, asking me, you know, how can you grow community online? Mm-hmm. What can you do? Mm-hmm. And they also uh, didn't mind if I made a contribution. Right. So I got involved in the nonprofit world in different areas, then I got more involved in it. Sometimes I stumbled onto things, mm-hmm. like I was at a PBS NewsHour thing. Luncheon and sitting next to me was a, a volunteer from the Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America. Well, having come of age during Vietnam, uh, I saw uh, that there was a problem with the war, but that vets coming back from the war shouldn't be treated badly. Right. And that kind of stuck with me for, uh, let's say, 40 years or so, mm-hmm. or maybe 30 years. But the idea is that uh, I figure vets uh, give away. They give up. They sacrifice a lot to protect us. Right. They risk taking a bullet to protect me. More recently, I've learned that their families sacrifice a great deal mm-hmm. because uh, living without uh, their fighter— uh, can be really rough. Uh, there's problems like uh, payday lenders and used car salesmen mm-hmm. really actively try to rip off families around bases. Right. Not good. No. So? Well, what I've done is worked with uh, CFPB and Consumer mm-hmm. Reports on that subject. Mm-hmm. Also on other subjects related to that and part mm-hmm. of philanthropy, I'm thinking if you want to thank a vet, you uh, help them get their kids a good education. Right. So donors choose for military families. Right. We're just concluding that now. Uh, I don't think the final numbers have come out, but we've helped out at least 100,000 military kids. Right, right. So you, so how big is your philanthropy? What's the, I mean, there's obviously the, the big ones like the Gates and the, the Zuckerbergs. <laughs> Are you, how big I'm, is it? Uh, mine is uh, small. Okay. And right now the only f- person full-time on it is me. Right. You know, I get help from comms people and mm-hmm. lawyer and a, contr- a controller. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to d- design it so I have a narrow focus of... Uh, specialty areas, priorities, and the idea is to be able to turn around a grant proposal fast. Right, that you get. And we've managed to do that. Some things are tough and require a lot of thinking. Right, but you you focus on on just a couple topics. So they're military, veterans, women. Uh, Voter protection. Voter protection. And trustworthy journalism. Trustworthy journalism. So talk about the. I'm going to get to the trustworthy journalism in the next section, but but the but the when you focus on women's issues and voter protection, what is that about? Well, I'm 
interested in helping out in uh, women in tech because I remind myself that our country is supposed to be about fairness, opportunity, and respect. Mm -hmm. And I should practice what I preach. Mm -hmm. And like in Jersey, we say, I should put my uh, money where my mouth is. Mm -hmm. So what I'm doing in my uh, ignorance is finding uh, groups that do really good for women in tech, supporting them, getting educated by them, because I'd like to avoid uh, mansplaining. Right, right. Well, that would be nice. Well, so, for example, I support Girls Who Code, mm -hmm. and I'll talk to Reshma Sojani mm -hmm. about how I can help without being stupid about it. Right. Um, I prefer to limit my stupidity to other areas, mm -hmm. and I succeed. Mm -hmm. And uh, I work with Women Who Tech, that's Alison Capen, mm -hmm. and I just talk to, let's say, there is uh, women's hacker groups, at the University of San Francisco and my alma mater, Case Tech. So I've provided support uh, to them for things including scholarships for the Grace Murray Hopper uh, conferences. All right, and then voter protection? Voter protection, our deal is that, uh, well, everyone in our country who's uh, eligible to vote should have the, uh, well, they should be able to vote without much hassle. Mm -hmm. And yet, a lot of uh, bad actors in politics have said that part of their strategy is to stop people from voting that right. they don't like. Right. That means I got to stand up and help the groups who are doing a good job fighting those uh, bad actors. Mm -hmm. That includes the Brennan Center for Law, Voto Latino, uh, Demos. The deal is that even the uh, Russians have gotten in on the game. Mm -hmm. When uh, Mueller indicted those Russian groups, he specifically said they were trying to suppress the vote. Yeah. So to have a uh, fair election, or a not very unfair election, people of goodwill need to help out the people who know what they're doing. Right. There's been some setbacks recently in the Supreme Court that they didn't hear. Uh, there was one, I think, uh, in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And there's a number of places where voters really are at risk. There are states where... Oh, the Secretary of State will just decide to uh, arbitrarily unregister someone or if a registration... Because they, they didn't vote. Well, just no. This, it's uh, much worse than that. Mm -hmm. They may just receive other registrations and they may just forget to process them if they're there for the wrong party. Mm -hmm. And, for example, I'm funding one effort, the point of which is to figure out who's registered at one point in time, then... Take a look at, uh, take a look later, and to see if anyone has mysteriously dropped out, right. particularly without notice. Right, right, and they're doing this to suppress, just to suppress the vote. Yeah. How successful do you think they've been? I don't know, because we know that uh, I was involved in these efforts in 2016, mm -hmm. and I have no idea really how successful things things were. I do know that. This election is mission critical for American democracy. For people to vote. Yeah. All right. When we get back, we're going to talk about your $20 million you gave to SUNY. Um, and I want to know why you picked that and also uh, more about what you think about where Amer you said it's the immune system of American democracy. <laughs> when we get back, we're going to talk about that and more with Craig Newmark. He is the founder of Craigslist, but now he is a philanthropist. Today's show is brought to you by ZipRecruiter, which is the presenting sponsor of Recode Decode and the smartest way to hire. If you run a tech company, then you're probably very used to, well, running. 
sprinting through dev and testing cycles, scrambling to find investors, hurtling through regulatory reviews. So when you're hiring, you don't want to waste time interviewing people who don't have all the skills and experience you need. You need a way to quickly identify the strongest, most qualified candidates. You need ZipRecruiter. Their powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes across the network to actively find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. It's so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. So if you're hiring, it's time to get smart. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash decode right now where you can try ZipRecruiter for free. The lowest price there is. Don't waste another second. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash decode and start putting that technology to work for you. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash decode. I'd also like to tell you about one of our other podcasts, Recode Media with Peter Kafka. Peter, who'd you talk to this week? Kara, you're going to love this conversation. You know why? Because you are a smart person with an avid interest in technology and media. That's why you're doing this podcast. Um, I talked to someone who's exactly like you, Eugene Way, early Amazon employee, product guy, Flipboard product guy, Hulu product guy, Oculus, uh, really big brain, um, wrote an essay that went viral a little while ago explaining the sort of limits and challenges that Snapchat and Twitter and Facebook all face. He's a really smart dude, and he spent an hour talking with me, and you can listen to it for free. Sounds great, Peter. You can find Recode Media on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're here with Craig Newmark. He is well-known as an entrepreneur who created Craigslist, but right now we're talking about uh, his philanthropy, in specific right now about the $20 million he has just given to the journalism school at SUNY um, in New York. Um, can you talk a little bit of what prompted that? Why That's a lot of money for a journalism program, and obviously... Uh, an important one to teach people how to do journalism in this day and age? Well, what I'm trying to do in the here and now is support a lot of people doing mission-critical work in journalism. For example, there's ProPublica, which is a great example of trustworthy journalism. I'm also supporting a whole bunch of groups who are focusing on analyzing disinformation in order to counter it, Mm -hmm. like uh, Dana Boyd's group, uh, Data and Society. Right. A whole bunch of things. There's a Tau Center. Oh, there's uh, folks even in Indiana that I'm uh, talking to. There's the folks at First Draft at Shorenstein Center. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that I've contributed over $20 million to a collection of groups looking at defending journalism and defending the country against bad actors, whether foreign or domestic. Mm-hmm. But I think... We not only work, need to work in the here and now, but we need to work in the oh, in the near term. Right. Hence, we need a lot of good, well-educated uh, journalists. Mm-hmm. And given my uh, well, given the way I believe in things, of sharing well fairness, opportunity, and respect for all, the City University of New York, uh, CUNY Graduate Journalism School, is a great place to do that. Uh, Jeff Jarvis, uh, Sarah Bartlett have great track records in journalism, Mm -hmm. great track records for uh, uh, integrity. I mean, I've done my due diligence. Mm -hmm. And what the CUNY uh, Graduate Journalism School is about, it's about diversity. It's about giving people the opportunity to get a really quality education, Mm -hmm. quality journalism at a much lower price than they would get everywhere. Right. The idea... Fairness, opportunity, and respect, 
this is a way of putting it into practice. And that's something I believe in in a big way. So, so why? I'm just curious. Why did you did you looked around at a lot of journalism schools, or you feel that there's not enough journalists being trained, or what? What was the thinking? And I know you're giving money to other journalism organizations. Yeah. It's kind of all of the above. I see CUNY as being the uh, figurative and literal uh, epicenter of a lot of these activities. Mm-hmm. Some of the best work is being done again in Manhattan at Columbia. And Dana's team, NYU, uh, you go north, and again, Shorenstein Center, mm-hmm. south, there's Pointer. In our area, there's uh, Berkeley. Berkeley, and uh, things are happening there. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that I can uh, learn enough, I can get help from folks at Ford Foundation, at, uh, oh, Jennifer Preston, mm-hmm. at... Uh, the Knight Foundation, I can get the help I need, and then it becomes time, having identified good organizations, mm-hmm. to put my money where my mouth is. CUNY, again, the CUNY Graduate School of Journalism is a great place to do that because they provide a good opportunity for people who might never get Never that. get it. So what do you expect the $20 million to be used for? Um, Did basic, you direct it in any way? I uh, have not. Right. It goes basically into uh, what I think of as an endowment, providing funding in an environment where funding is shrinking and it's all pretty scary. Mm-hmm. And that's scary in a number of ways because across America, people who might need opportunity are being denied that. Mm-hmm. And you, so it can go to anything, it creates an endowment to do shares or tuition or... I think it provides uh, operational funding for that. For detail, you can ask Sarah. Right, but they get to do it. And and what was the pitch to, by them to you? What was the pitch? Um, Sarah basi- and Jeff. Basically, they explained uh, how they work, how their funding works. They showed me something I guess I already knew, that they're providing good education in journalism to people who might never otherwise get a break. Right. And uh, also, they, again, they're at that epicenter of restoring uh, a lot of trust to uh, journalism everywhere. So talk about that issue, because right now, it's never, I think there's never been so much of a siege on journalism. Every day, one of the members of the Trump administration or someone affiliated with them is attacking the press. Yesterday, it was Corey Lewandowski after his appalling behavior on television. But well, it's just every day. I uh, start in a way trying to figure out what I, as a news consumer, mm-hmm. I want to find news I can trust. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? And that's been helped by the folks at the Trust Project at the Markula Center for uh, Applied Ethics at Santa Clara. And in my uh, simplified, not a journalist perspective, I want news organizations to listen to different kinds of people. Mm -hmm. regardless of politics or ethnicity or whatever. I want, you know, news outlets to have codes of ethics which say things like, uh, don't make stuff up. And uh, I want news outlets, when they do make a mistake, because, you know, that's going to happen, that they fix it in a serious way. Now, uh, Sally uh, Lehrman, who runs this, has more uh, trust indicators, but I'm... uh, somewhat simple-minded, and I'm very aware that I'm not a news professional and I'm not telling anyone how to do their job. Right. So if a news outlet wants me to trust it and maybe pay for it, uh, they have to behave in a trustworthy way. Right. That's the uh, start of things there. Then the idea is to fund a lot of uh, operational work 
fact-checking is a big part of this. And a lot of it goes around the International Fact-Checking Network, mm -hmm. which is a network of networks with a common code, meaning that if you're going to do a fact-check, you have to publish, oh, your materials showing how you got there. Right. So if you don't trust their fact-checks, you have the raw material sources to, to work with. To look at with. it yourself. And they're having a big meeting in Rome right now, mm -hmm. and it looks like lots of progress is being made in fact-checking. Bill Adair, um, helping fund out in uh, Duke University, they're trying to build the means for fact-checkers to work together. Right. First draft. First, I want to tell you about what you think the landscape is right now for the press, what's happening. Um, there's a whole bunch of things happening at once. On the optimistic side, I keep getting approached uh, quietly by people at a whole range of uh, news outlets, mm -hmm. even unexpected ones, people who want to do straight ethical reporting, mm -hmm. even if their boss uh, won't want them to do that. Mm -hmm. And so I see a lot of hope for things. People are seeing these uh, mechanisms, this, this ecosystem of trustworthy journalism, and people are pretty optimistic about it. The deal is just to... Oh, one part of the problem is to get everyone to work together mm -hmm. and then to find those organizations which might not have enough funding. Right. And, I got that part. Yeah. I want to talk about the, the landscape right now, which is not positive. Okay. It's not optimistic. Um, then uh, can you uh, help me understand that? Well, what's Trump discussing the press every day, attacking it, then saying I'm attacking it on purpose to weaken it, um, using it, you, just creating distrust. And I'll get to Internet companies next, but— well, how um, do you look at that landscape? Well, I draw some hope from those services like PolitiFact or the, the guy at uh, the Post, I think it's Eric Wempel, mm -hmm. who are just carefully documenting uh, lies mm -hmm. and doing that, just getting some recognition of it, helps people. But I'm more interested in dealing with that landscape. And an idea I've heard from Dana Boyd is that of strategic silence. Mm -hmm. And then I've read in the last week or two how uh, how a number of uh, reporters, mm -hmm. um, Brian Stelter mm -hmm. and others, they're just uh, saying that they're tired of all the lying. Mm -hmm. And they've started to challenge people in the White House press room. Right, right. And uh, them getting tired of all the uh, lying may get them, I'm hoping, to... Uh, apply this idea of strategic silence, mm -hmm. uh, which means that, well, as Dan Gilmore says, you don't give a loudspeaker for liars. Mm -hmm. And if that starts happening, I think that would dramatically uh, clear up the landscape. You do. I don't. Uh, I think perhaps, lies work beautifully. Um, but if people don't hear them, and if the networks of disinformation are disrupted, mm -hmm. if the bad stuff cannot crowd out honest reporting, right. there's hope. And I have chosen to be hopeful right. to put my money where my mouth is. Right. I uh, get you've chosen to be hopeful, but I think the, the landscape is more dangerous than most people recognize. Uh, you uh, may be right, mm -hmm. but we can't let fear paralyze us. Mm -hmm. This year is pivotal for the country. Mm -hmm. It could be pivotal for the uh, world and the species. And it's time for people of goodwill to stand up, maybe make some mistakes, but to, uh, to do this. I mean, uh, remember, I talked to a lot of vets, mm -hmm. and 
they stood up to defend the country in the way they knew. Mm -hmm. I came of age during Vietnam. Vietnam vets tell me that wasn't my fight. Mm -hmm. They tell me this is my fight. Mm -hmm. It's to stand up to it. What do you, um, when you when you talk about what needs to be done to, to get press more credible, I'd love to know what you think the press has done wrong by just allowing the equalization of the lies or not attacking them or what? Well, in a lot of cases, they were, would uh, amplify a lie mm -hmm. because when you give uh, uncritical airtime right. to a lie, right. uh, the lie gets reinforced. Mm -hmm. um, if you, yeah, if you give airtime or perhaps spa uh, um, space and print, um, yeah, it reinforces the lie. Now, some people are good at uh, debunking it in real time. Mm -hmm. Not many. Right. So this idea of strategic silence, just not uh, going along, mm -hmm. that might be the uh, answer. I think is it Jay Rosen mm -hmm. who says uh, replace the White House press corps with interns if oh if something uh, important happens, but otherwise take those uh, highly professional journalists mm -hmm. and get them to report real news. Real news, which is whatever is uh, happening. Uh, any place else. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah, like uh, this is a would be an extreme case, but uh, if you were to take one of those reporters to report regularly on the uh, Washington School Board, mm -hmm. you might actually do more good that way. Right, right. Local news matters. Right, well, we'll get to that in a minute. We're here with Craig Newmark. He has just given $20 million to the SUNY uh, Journalism School um, because he believes in journalism. We're going to talk about sort of the changes that the Information Society has created. We're going to take another break now. We'll be back after this with Craig Newmark. Today's show is brought to you by TransferWise. Do you ever need to send money internationally? Sure, your bank or PayPal can get your money from A to B, but that transfer will cost you more than it should, a lot more. That's the old way of doing things. Let me tell you about the new, smarter, and cheaper way to send money internationally, TransferWise. TransferWise was founded by two friends, Tavit and Christo, who were frustrated by their bank's bad exchange rates and high fees. They wondered, what if we could bypass the banks entirely? So they built TransferWise. That was seven years ago. Today, more than two million people use TransferWise. People sending money home, businesses paying suppliers, freelancers getting paid, the list goes on. TransferWise's clever new technology gives you a great exchange rate and a low fee. So it'll put some extra money in your pocket for more important things. No one has ever said, it's important that my bank get some extra money. Test it out for free at transferwise.com slash podcast or download the app. Once again, that's transferwise.com slash podcast. It's the wise way to send money. I'd also like to tell you about my other podcast, Too Embarrassed to Ask. Every week we answer your questions about consumer tech and the week's news. This week I talked to Renee DiResta, an expert on disinformation and so much more about our horrible digital life right now. Renee, what did we talk about? I was real happy. I was happy. Um, <laughs> talk about disinformation and, and its Disinformation, impact. its impacts, misinformation, how we talk to each other, mm -hmm. um, how, our, how our leaders communicate with us, um, how to restore civility to the dialogue in an age of yeah. algorithmic conversation. Yeah, I just say, put your Twitter down. Put it down right now. That's what I say to a lot of people that are on Twitter sometimes, so that I know. I text them. I'm like, put it down. So it's, a, it's great advice. Everybody needs that. Yeah, yeah I have a very well-known <laughs> friend who was arguing, ar was arguing, in fact, with a bot. And I'm like, you're arguing with a bot. Stop. <laughs> no. Anyway, you can find Too Embarrassed to Ask on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Too Embarrassed to Ask. See you there.
We're here with Craig Newmark, the founder of Craigslist. We've just been talking about a donation he made to SUNY uh, Journalism School of $20 million. But I do want to get to Silicon Valley because one of the one of the things about we talked about the amplification of lies and how easy it is 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 by using social media that was created right here. Um, some people might think uh, creation of Craigslist hurt newspapers, for example, by killing off classifieds. Classifieds went digital. It's not your fault particularly, but the digitization of everything has weakened well, media. No, I, yes, I have to uh, challenge the premise Tell me. there. Please do. I've looked at the last uh, 60 years mm -hmm. of newspaper circulation and right. uh, revenues. Down, down, down. Down, down, down due to TV news, mm -hmm. uh, as people say. Right. Around 2008, got hammered even worse by the big dot-coms. Right. I think Craigslist played a uh, small role in that. Mm -hmm. One so small that uh, I don't know if anyone has been able to measure it right. with all the uh, effects that the big guys had. Right. So... Uh, I don't really know if uh, if Craigslist had that substantial effect. And at this point, my focus is on doing what I can to restore trust for right. this stuff. Right, absolutely. I got yeah. that. So talk about the big guys. What social—we all know the impact of television, but let's talk about the impact of, of Internet companies. Um, I'd love to get your thoughts on Facebook and the, the, how it distributes information. But talk about that from when you watched it happen when these big guys came in and started really impacting journalism's business model, the advertising model, which is now—the digital advertising model is pretty much dominated by Facebook and Google at this point. I can only address something from the uh, perspective of a uh, technology founder. Okay. That is, you know, you produce a, uh, a really good product. product, you give it away mostly free, you're hoping to uh, make a comfortable living, and something engineers are not prepared for are how people can abuse the system. Mm -hmm. And we, it takes a while for us to really realize it for to grow out of denial, you know, that's basically human. Mm -hmm. And naturally, we uh, try to handle it ourselves. We try two or three times. And if we're paying attention, we may realize that our uh, first attempts at dealing with problems didn't work. Right. And then we get help. And then we uh, wind up on the road to, uh, to solution. Right. So I think that... Facebook, Google, and uh, Twitter are moving ahead pretty well in that regards, and I'm impressed with the uh, with the turnaround that I've seen looking through side channels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not good at side channels, frankly. I'm a nerd. Mm -hmm. I've seen Jeff Jarvis do a great deal of good through these, and uh, I'm doing whatever I can to give him. All right, credit. so you don't feel that you think they've. I think they've broken things almost irreparably. I, I, I do, I, and and do, are not taking responsibility for fixing it at all. I don't know if it's. Fi I actually don't know if it's fixable, um, in terms of how it's changed how people take in information. Um, I look at Twitter every day and see it not cleaned up in the way that you're talking about. I see Facebook continuing to drag its feet on very important things. Now I'm hoping a lot for the next election, but you can't say you broke something and oh well, it's not. Do you know, you get yeah. my point. I do see things uh, being fixed. I also know how difficult these uh, problems are because sometimes if a uh, bad actor is running a, a long con, mm -hmm. it takes, you know, serious law enforcement skills sometimes to understand when a long con is in place. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if uh, AI will be smart enough to do that in our lifetimes. Mm -hmm. 
if it does become that smart, I for one welcome our machine overlords. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but the idea is that people are working on a limited AI to try to detect problems. The companies are hiring people to try to detect problems. They're serious, but these are really, really hard problems. And people are thinking about it. Me, I have a feeling that verified identities will help with uh, some of this because a verified identity can uh, hold a bad actor or can help to hold a bad actor accountable for something. Mm -hmm. The problem is that we always need anonymity for people like dissidents or, well, people who've just escaped to a shelter, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. This is ramifications. That one I need to know more about. I talk to Dana Boyd. Mm And often I do that in the context of the CUNY, uh, you know, graduate journal, uh, right. journalism school. Right. So, so when, that's that's a big convening place for all this happening. All right. So, but they have. Do you imagine techies as a tech founder that you did think of the repercussions of your inventions? I think they didn't think of them at all, and um, were slow to understand them. Rather I, slow. I'm being polite when I say yes. slow. <laughs> uh, slow is uh, sometimes accurate. Mm-hmm. I uh, could only speak for myself and reflect that in some respects I was kind of a dumbass about it. Mm -hmm. I got an education quickly, and I am one of those humans who uh, will ask for a direction. But in my specific case also, remember that in 2000, I gave up all uh, management involvement Mm -hmm. in uh, in Craigslist. Mm -hmm. The idea, again, is that... uh, Tech founders, just like ordinary humans, sometimes there's a problem and humans are good at being in denial about something. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes humans are remiss in asking for directions. Do you think the the personality has changed? Has things have changed? I mean, I I literally, when I did my interview with Tim Cook recently, he talked about it quite cogently. And the reaction was, how dare he say such things, that you need to have responsibility, that you need to have... You know, they attacked him rather than listen to the message he was putting forth. What I'm doing, again, is quietly going Mm -hmm. through uh, back channels, Mm -hmm. trying to nudge ahead progress. I don't have the eloquence or persuasive abilities Mm -hmm. to make things happen with any speed. Mm -hmm. I just nudge, and then I I keep nudging and nudging further. Hopefully that provides some... uh, Atmosphere. So what has to happen among these tech companies? I mean, for example, just recently on the, I was arguing with someone at one of the big tech companies around uh, these kids in Texas. And they're like, what do you want us to do? Wade in every time? I'm like, I kind of do. I think your employees kind you want, want you to do it. I think you shouldn't be doing business when this is happening with them. You know, I mean, I'm like, I, I, have, a, I have an opinion about this. You may not want to do that. but I don't want any of them to become a, an arbiter of truth. Mm-hmm. I want them to use uh, professionals to try to figure out uh, what might be trustworthy and what uh, what's not. Mm-hmm. For example, I'd like a news outlet to uh, oh to uh, subscribe to the Trust Project principles, mm-hmm. maybe to the work being done by the Credibility uh, Coalition. I'd like them to work with the investigators who are tracking patterns of uh, both disinformation and harassment. Mm -hmm. They're usually the same. And I want want to get summary uh, fact check records. Mm -hmm. That is, if a news feed encounters an incoming chunk of news, 
And uh, it can't really do fact-checking in real time. But if it knows that that news outlet has a, rec- has a track record for generally being right and then fixing what got wrong, then uh, I might want to see that one. Mm-hmm. I might choose to see items like that. I might choose to say, hey, if something comes in from a news outlet which uh, gets it wrong a lot, I uh, oh, want to choose not to see that. Right, but that, that puts a lot of onus on the reader, and it puts a lot of onus on the news organizations uh, and not these distributors. I disagree with that. Okay. The idea is that the news reader chooses only... Do I want to see stuff which is probably trustworthy? Do I want to see stuff that's probably not trustworthy? Mm-hmm. Oversimplifying for discussion. But the idea is that, uh, oh, the user chooses what kinds of stuff they see. Mm-hmm. The platform relies on other parties to uh, work on this, like the International Fact-Checking Network, right. like First Draft out of... Uh, out of the Shorin Scene Center, mm-hmm. like the Tech and Check people out of uh, out of Duke University, they also may involve some uh, AI stuff, like the work being done at uh, Factmata. Mm-hmm. And there, I got to disclose, I'm a uh, token investor. Okay, so so you don't want them to be arbiters of truth of platforms they build. Correct. Why? Um, because I think it's unfair to concentrate that much power in one place. Mm-hmm. Uh, an arbiter of truth gets to shape the reality that its users uh, perceive. Yes, it, I've met Rupert Murdoch. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, w- I almost met him, but I was frightened of him. Oh, don't worry about it. But don't the deal is that we don't want informational power to be concentrated too much in any particular place. Mm-hmm. And the way to do that is to create networks of networks of people who know what they're doing, Mm-hmm. and who show you how they do it. So if you want to challenge it, then you can challenge it. I want big networks of networks with some redundancy because even in the U.S., journalists are under siege to some extent. There are big problems with harassment, death threats or worse, uh, that kind of thing. And I'm talking with parties, including Wikipedia, as to how do journalists protect themselves here both informationally, reputationally, and uh, in other countries, how journalists protect themselves physically mm-hmm. because journalists are getting killed. That's not right. Right, right. So so not letting, you know, I did an interview with Mark Zuckerberg, where, and I'm, I'm going to be talking more in the future, but one of the things he really does want to shy away, he said, I don't want to sit at my desk in California and make decisions about these things. And one of their uh, solutions was to crowdsource what's good, which I find disturbing on every (laughs) level. I know the New York Times is good. I don't need a crowd. You don't want a crowd to be voting up and down and likes and dislikes. It seems so open to gaming. I uh, used to think... That crowdsourcing of trustworthiness Mm -hmm. could be a thing. I uh, have backed off uh, from that. Mm -hmm. The deal is trustworthiness. Well, you start with commitment, at least Mm -hmm. a verbal commitment. That's the trust project stuff. Mm -hmm. A news outlet, if you want to think of it as uh, trustworthy, they should start by saying, we're trustworthy. Mm -hmm. And then you uh, do the Reagan-esque thing, trust but verify. That's what the International Fact-Checking Network Mm -hmm. is about. Um, There's other people who are taking a look. First Draft is providing the means where people can Mm -hmm. help each other 
do some of these fact checks. So we have an ecosystem emerging. Now, I'm not a journalism uh, professional. I don't want to tell anyone how to do their business because I think that a uh, reporter has to do something like writing a news story every day to deadline. I can barely write 500 words to deadline. (laughs) So what I've done is found professionals, a lot of them centered at the City University of New York Mm -hmm. Journalism School, and I can rely on people who know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I have a feeling unless you've written a deadline for like 10 years or something, you just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to finish up. You seem optimistic about journalism. I've never been more pessimistic, (laughs) I have to say. Well, I see this ecosystem uh, developing. I see people getting more optimistic and uh, feistier. Like I read uh, all the newsletters that come out of Politico and Axios and uh, Brian Stelter's out of CNN. And I do see indications of things uh, getting better. Right, because they're mad as hell and they're not going to take it anymore? Or uh, Well, we know they, how that ended. they focus on, uh, on real stuff happening to make things better. Mm-hmm. We do need more people uh, mad as hell. And I've seen some signs that Anderson Cooper is mm-hmm. getting tired of the lying. Mm-hmm. The break, I think, will come when uh, more and more people read some of the best writing of the last week or so on this, mm-hmm. like that Dan Gilmore piece mm-hmm. saying... You know, don't provide loudspeakers for liars, whoever they are. You know, somebody's lying to you, just don't repeat the lies. Right. Okay. Don't give them airtime. All right. So what, what, is, what is next for you? $20 million is a lot of money. More $20 million donations all around well, the world. How well, do you get others in Silicon Valley? Right, I think Facebook should just pay for all of local news. Well, that's what I think. Um, I think they've ruined local news and should well, not pay for it. 20 for CUNY Journalism School. Right. 20 for a bunch of other. Right. Another 20 for a bunch right. of other people. Right. And I got to do more. Um, How I, are you going to get Silicon Valley people to do more? Well, the deal is I talk with them. I work quietly with the big dot-coms, although, again— Jeff is the guy to really make things right. happen. Right. And I feel that they're consistently moving in a better direction. It's kind of like they're asking for directions, mm-hmm. which is sometimes hard to get a human to do. Mm-hmm. And I see that, uh, that happening. And, you know, before the events of November 2016, journalism and democracy were slowly drifting into a bad place, mm-hmm. kind of like the uh, frog slowly boiling in water. Mm-hmm. Well, we got a wake-up call. Right. And I think people across the world, uh, particularly Americans in journalism, are standing up and are doing remarkable things. And I'm sure that I see that. I mean, like any human, I might be fooling myself. We mm-hmm. like to fool ourselves. Mm-hmm. We're good at it. Right. But uh, I'll put my money where my mouth is and see what happens. Well, good for you, Craig. I'm, I have to say kudos to you. I wish more people would do the same, not just for journalism, but issues that you're talking about. And it was great talking to you. Thanks for coming on the show. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, or just visit recode.net slash podcast for more. If you have a minute, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell other people about the show. That helps them discover great interviews like this one. 
Now that you're done with this, you should check out our other podcasts, Too Embarrassed to Ask and Recode Media with Peter Kafka. You can find those shows wherever you found this one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. Thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Tune in then. <laughs>